The official Easter egg roll event is returning to the White House after a two-year COVID absence. We're all excited for the kids to find the eggs, and I know the president is hoping that they can also find his keys, and his wallet, and his pants, and the nuclear codes, and of course, Hunter's missing laptop. Stu does America. Subscribe right this moment. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. The code is Stu. We'll save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. We've talked to a former high school football coach who was fired and now is going to the Supreme Court. Joe Biden is alienating the younger portion of his base along with everyone else. But we start by doing religious liberty. Today, we're going to do something different. We're going to rank the Supreme Court justices on religious liberty. That's it. The only qualification. We're not going to look at how hot they are. Uh, how they're at, how good their abs are, nothing like that. Just how they rule on religious liberty. And there's a couple things here that you have to think about as we're getting this started. Number one, I'm not putting any ties. Okay, anyone who's tied with the other one, we're we're making a decision. Decision, we're ranking them one through nine. And secondly, some of the justices that we don't really have much information on, we're just we're gonna make a judgment anyway because it's just a cop out to do it any other way. So that's what we're doing today. And quickly, let me give you one of the names of the justices we'll be talking about today. Ketanji Brown Jackson, she is for real. Never had a justice quite like her. She's a former public defender. Ketanji Brown Jackson, she is for real. Where will she rank on this list? Are you excited to find out? I know that I am. Now, normally, you would count a countdown sort of list like this, starting at number nine and going all the way. To number one. But that's not going to happen today because everybody knows that number one is already Clarence Thomas. Now, this is its just one of those things. It was so obvious going in. I didn't want to build all of this drama until we got to the top and then I revealed the guy you already knew was in first. It's kind of boring. But Clarence Thomas has had a great career and has been very, very strong. I'm going to move on from Clarence because you know how good he is and move on to number two, Samuel Alito. Now, The question here is, should it be so obvious that Clarence Thomas is number one? And here's the thing. Not really. Samuel Alito has been about as close to a 1B to Clarence Thomas as possible. Alito has been really, really strong on this. And it's one of the underrated parts of uh, George W. Bush's presidency. You know, people talk about Roberts all the time and we'll get to him. It's going to be a while, but we'll get to John John Roberts here in a little bit. Uh, But uh, Samuel Alito is really, really strong, and he's been about as strong as Clarence Thomas. And I know that's sacrilege. You're not allowed to say things like that. But Alito deserves a heck of a lot of credit here, and he gets the number two ranking. Number three, Neil Gorsuch. Yes, Neil Gorsuch. Now, Gorsuch can be a little frustrating to conservatives at times, but his libertarian leanings really help on those close calls, especially when it comes to the power of the state. And this shouldn't be a tough call for a Supreme Court justice. This shouldn't be a difficult one. At times, yes, I will acknowledge, Neil Gorsuch has been a bit frustrating on certain things. However, uh, usually when he makes mistakes or he does things that we don't particularly like, he's doing it in a way that, that relates back to originalism, Uh, Sometimes a little too much textualism for for my taste, but still, uh, he's a guy who's been pretty strong on this. And he's I I talked to one of the things I did is I sent this out. You may have seen me tweet a sort of preview to this monologue yesterday at Studios America. I'd love to see your rankings, by the way. 
Drop them down in the con- contents uh, if you want. Don't give me the thing that everybody did. It was like, one, Clarence Thomas, everybody else, number nine. I know, I got it, you like Clarence. But uh, I also sent this around to a bunch of real experts, uh, people who watch this stuff every single day. Um, and not, not most of them didn't want to tweet their opinions on this because some of them, you know, are, uh, de- you know, dealing with these cases out in, in uh, open air, you know, and they, and they don't want to necessarily go down these roads. But uh, Gorsuch is, is, was one that was a little dividing, I will say, on several of the ballots. He fell a little lower on some of them, uh, some of them a little higher. I put him at number three. I like Neil Gorsuch. I think that was a good pick by Trump so far has held up pretty well with some 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 issues, but I think overall pretty good. Good enough for number three. At number four, Amy Coney Barrett. That's right, ACB, the notorious ACB. By the way, you can go to studosmerch.com and get your notorious ACB shirt if you want to celebrate Amy Coney Barrett with the rest of us. Um, now, look, I'm going to be honest with you here. This is pure speculation, okay, because she hasn't done anything yet. She's brand new, basically. Um, it's too early to really know if she's going to be good or bad. But when you look at her history, everything about her indicates this would be one of her stronger areas when it comes to originalist uh, sort of um, uh, sort of legal structure. She, this is where you think she's going to shine. And if you don't get her here, you missed with this pick. So we're going to uh, we I almost put her at number three, frankly, um, but I decided to stick with number four, especially because we just don't we don't know enough yet. Number five, Brett Kavanaugh. Now, look, good old Brett makes me a little nervous, not because I think he's going to drink too much and do terrible things to me. No, no, because he on a lot of these big issues, he strikes me as a guy who's looking a little bit, I feel like he looks around the room a little bit before he rules. He looks around, what are people thinking? What are people thinking? That's a a trait of the one John Roberts as well. I don't like that trait with a Supreme Court justice. I want someone who is going to say what they believe the Constitution provides for, even when everybody in the room hates his guts. That's what I want. That's why I love Clarence Thomas. That's why I like Samuel Alito. That's why you you like uh, Neil Gorsuch. Even when you agree with disagree with Gorsuch, he's willing to stand up and just say like, yeah, like I know you guys all hate me, but here's why. Uh, here's what I think, and here's why I think it. Kavanaugh, I get the sense is a little bit different. He's a guy who's looking at the reputation of the court maybe a little bit. He's been a little disappointing on a couple of smaller things so far. We will see in this big case. Coming soon when it comes to abortion as his overall profile. But as far as religious liberty, he actually has been really good, uh, generally speaking, during his career on this issue overall. We will see how that one turns out. Now, I've got the most controversial one up next. This is the one that's going to just everyone's going to go crazy over. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. Number six, Elena Kagan. Yes, Elena Kagan, named by Barack Obama to be on the Supreme Court, is number six ahead of John Roberts. And that might be the most controversial thing uh, on this particular list. Because, look, the thing about Kagan is occasionally, every once in a while, in a blue moon, around the corner of time, eventually sort of gets one thing occasionally right. And actually, on religious liberty, it's probably one of her more conservative views. Now, when I say more conservative, it's comparing it to really, really liberal. So she's not anything that I would want in a Supreme Court justice. I would not name Elena Kagan. However, 
Uh, you know, most everything that she says, I think, is wrong. But when it comes to religious liberty, she's actually been uh, just normal bad, right? Like she's actually been okay on some of these things. And I will say, Elena Kagan is as close to a miss as the left will ever have. They never miss on Supreme Court justices. All of them always say the exact same thing that whatever that day's version of AOC is uttering. But Elena Kagan breaks that mold every once in a while. And that's why I have her at number six. Number seven is John Roberts. Now, Roberts is absolutely terrible. Okay, we, we know John Roberts is a problem. But I want to be very clear here. John Roberts is, if you had 100 rulings on religious liberty and you had a choice between if you had a one justice Supreme Court and you had John Roberts and you had Elena Kagan, You'd pick John Roberts. John Roberts is going to be correct more often on a higher percentage of these cases than Elena Kagan. But I put him here because of his difference from expectations. You know, you expect nothing from Elena Kagan. You expect a giant zilch. Barack Obama put her in there, okay? And, you know, maybe you're getting, instead of 0%, maybe you're getting 15%, which is better than you'd ever expect. Now, John Roberts was hand-selected to be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court by George W. Bush. You expect minimum 80 to 85% success rate here, okay? And what you're getting is maybe 40%. Now, 40% is a lot higher than 15%. And so you might say, well, that's why Roberts should be higher on the list. But just because of the giant letdown we've received from uh, John Roberts, uh, you know, back in in a former life, I put him as an emergency inductee into the douche hall of fame, along with Pat Gray. Uh, He's there because of what he's done in the court for so many other reasons. When it comes to religious liberty, he's been pretty bad for a conservative, uh, supposedly conservative justice. And while he might be slightly better than Elena Kagan, not by much. Next up is Katanji Brown Jackson. I won't play the song for you here. Don't worry. Obviously, we're totally guessing at KBJ because she hasn't done, you know, anything yet. Breyer's still in there, I think, until October. This is also probably, though, where we would put Breyer. So whatever seat this is, you're going to put her in the same place. One thing about uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson's hearings, and this is, I think, completely meaningless, but she at least seemed to think she was supposed to say things that sounded a, lig- a little originalist. She seemed to think she she sounded more conservative than liberal justices of the past. I don't think that's true at all. To be clear, I don't believe that. I don't think she's true. I don't think there's any chance we're going to get some hidden Clarence Thomas coming out of uh, the Joe Biden's presidency. But we don't put her dead last because we really don't know at this point. And it does seem that she's going to be worse than Kagan. And I assume Roberts, but Roberts, who knows? He can always surprise you. And at number nine, worst possible job in the Supreme Court on religious liberty is Sonia Sotomayor. Congratulations, Sonia. Not only is she terrible on religious liberty, she's also a first-class idiot. Yes, a dunce in a robe. She's not only worse than everyone else on this list, she's also worse, worse than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She lives in the intersection of ignorance and certitude, and that is a very dangerous intersection to live in. Well, the truth is that none of this should be hard The Constitution is clear. The founding of the country was clear. Religious liberty is quite literally the main reason this nation exists. 
every Supreme Court justice should tie at number one on this list. In fact, this should be so obvious to everyone that these cases shouldn't even make it to the Supreme Court. Every justice should be in agreement on these basic truths. They're supposed to be self-evident. Everyone from uh, Thomas to Alito to uh, Gorsuch to Kavanaugh uh, to Roberts to Sotomayor to Kagan. Uh, I'm forgetting someone. That's a, it's eight. Uh, oh, Sandra Brown Jackson. That's right. Yeah, that's, yeah you're right. Okay. Never had a justice quite like her. She's a former public defender. Sandra Brown Jackson. She is for real. I don't know, guys. How can we fit in She's a Public Defender into the song? I don't know. Let's really do it poorly. Uh, if you're trying to buy, sell, or sell a home at, at these times, you know how challenging it can be. It's because, uh, well, your real estate agent probably sucks. I hate to break this to you. It's probably true. Your real estate agent is mediocre at best, and you need somebody better. You don't need the person you ran into at the coffee shop. You don't need the person whose ad you saw on a bus bench underneath the homeless person. You don't need a person who's your cousin's 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 cousin who just thought about real estate last week, and now they're going to sell your very expensive home. Uh, you need a real estate agent you can trust. Glenn Beck created this company years ago so that you can trust your real estate agent. You can find someone who's capable in your area, no matter where you live in the United States of America. Do it with realestateagentsitrust.com. Get more information now, realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm joined now by Coach Joe Kennedy and First Liberty Institute's Jeremy Dice. Guys, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for being here. Yeah. um, You guys have, there's a long story here and I want to get to all of it. It, to, to, to jump ahead to the end, there's a Supreme Court case coming up. You're the focus of it. Yeah. How weird does that feel? Beyond weird. Yeah. I mean, imagine some guy from Bremerton, Washington. Go look it up on a map. Nobody <laughs> knows where it is. Right. And here I am, part of it. It's like high school football coach, Supreme Court. That's odd. It's, it's wild. I want to I go through the whole, the whole story about how you got there. But let's go back to the beginning of your life first. Yeah. Because... The, uh, maybe even more shocking than a, uh, a coach going to the Supreme Court is you, what, with your beginnings, rising up and being uh, a focal point of the Supreme Court. I can't imagine that's what you thought was going to happen with your life back <laughs> no. in the day. Tell me, yeah. I, so t- tell me how, how everything started for you. Uh, everything started, you know, I, I'd say from my youth. You know, I was one of those troubled youths. Uh, nobody wanted in and out of foster homes, group homes, uh, boys' homes, those kind of things. Mm. So everybody told me, even the nuns at school, hey, yeah, you're not going to amount to nothing. You're going to, you know, you're, you're just, you don't contribute to society. And right. it kind of made me a fighter and joined the Marine Corps, obviously. That was a good fit, needed the discipline. Did that for no, 20 you years. Because were, you weren't necessarily <laughs> the best kid, would you no, say? Your no, behavior? I was the worst kid. Yeah. <laughs> the single worst kid yeah, ever. Yeah, okay. I'd be in the top 10 probably. Really? Oh, yeah. I so, got kicked out of every school from third grade on. Really? Yeah. And what over what? Just I, normal I was, shenanigans? How far did yeah, you go? Yeah, it started out that. And um, I didn't get along with my parents. They had natural kids, which, you know, I was adopted. So it kind of pushed us all apart from each other and... Kind of went down the wrong road from there. Yeah, yeah, because you were adopted, um, and then you're at that point that you were adopted because your the parents who adopted you did couldn't have biological right, kids, right? That is correct. Yeah, and then they had them, and they were like, ah, 
Yeah, after five others, they're like, oh, yeah, we don't need that one anymore. Gosh. And But, I mean, I was a terror. So <laughs> I, I hold nothing against right. them because I wouldn't put up with me. I would have killed me a long time ago. <laughs> so you go to the Marine Corps, and this does this, does this help? Does this turn you around? Does, do you get the sense of discipline that you felt you needed? Oh, yeah, and, and part of a team. I was um, greater than some than myself. And it was a really a proving stone for myself because everybody says you're never going to mount to anything. So... I wanted to know if I actually could. Oh, I wanted to prove them wrong, but I also wanted to prove to myself that I could do something incredible with my life. Okay, so you get you go through uh, the military. What happens next? I just retired, and I was out on a run, and athletic director from Bremerton Schools stopped me in the middle of my run and chatted me up and offered me a job, and I applied, and... There it was. So how did you, I mean, were you a big player? Did you, what, 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 how did you get this gig? It, it, we still wanted that to this day. <laughs> uh, the head coach, when we had the interview, he says, why, why would I hire you? You know nothing about football. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't. I mean, X's and O's, it's not my thing at all. Mm -hmm. I said, but I will make you a great team and I will get the most out of all the players and all the coaches. I will do everything in my power to develop a team and get leadership and take us to the next level in that arena so you become a coach and you start uh without real knowledge of x's and o's and you become a coach but you but you you're looking to improve them as as men as you're trying to, to, to turn this into a team of men that's exactly it and part of this process is something you do after the games right and and that i was a brand new um baby believer you know just within a year of uh, finding, you know, my relationship with God. Really? And, it, I mean, everything just all rolled in together all at once. It was just really odd how God put it all together. Weird sense of humor he has picking me to do this stuff. So, so why did you start? Because you started praying after the games. Why? Right. I, I was watching uh, Facing the Giants. I don't know if you mm. saw the movie. Mm. But in the movie, the coach was going through great turmoil in his life. And I felt the same way. And it was an answer call. They offered me that job on a Friday, and that movie came on over the weekend. And mm. I fell to my knees and said, I'm all in. You don't get an answer all the time. And that was a diehard answer. And I just from right there said, that was my covenant with God. I will give you the glory after every game on the battlefield. Mm. Now we're getting Jeremy Dice uh, as well. Jeremy, of course, with First Liberty and Stupid on the show many times. Um, it, the left would say that's not okay. The media would tell us it's not okay to have the coach praying with kids. It's against the separation of church and state, as you know, directly in the Constitution, uh, Jeremy. I can never seem to find it, but they tell me it's there. Uh, when people say that, how do, you, how do you explain this to them, that this is not against the rules? Well, in this case, we've got to be very clear. Coach, all he wanted to do is pray by himself at the 50-yard line after the game. That was his whole covenant mm. with God, to do that by himself. Over time, it evolved that students started to join him. And it became sort of a, a, a motivational speech afterwards with religious content. When the school district found out about it, oddly enough, through a compliment, uh, they investigated it, as, of course, because it's a government agency. They have to do an investigation of these things. Of course. And they said, look, you're praying with the kids afterwards. That needs to stop. Coach said, OK, no problem. I understand that. I may have mm. my opinion about that, but that's not what I covenanted with. What I promised to do with God has nothing to do with other people. It just involves me. Sure. And so I'd like to continue to be able to take a knee for 15 or 30 seconds on the 50-yard line, thanking the Lord for the, the game that we just played. And they still said no. Uh, and so that part is what's under consideration now with the Supreme Court of the United States. Is it sufficient to coerce other people and therefore violate the Establishment Clause 
just because those students can see coach engaged in what they called demonstrative religious activity at the 50 yard line of a public school's football field. Uh, because coach, you didn't say, hey, you're not going to get any targets at wide receiver if you don't come pray at the 50 yard line. This was not your approach. <laughs> no, especially when I'm just a JV coach, you mm -hmm. know, so I have nothing to do with the varsity lineup, who plays, who doesn't. I'm trying to squeeze everybody in. Yeah. Now with JV, I had full control and everybody played. We're not worried about winning the game. It's developing those players right. and to be better young men and getting to the varsity level. So I don't care if you we had special needs kids on our, on our team. They play. Every single person plays on JV. And so some of the kids initially tried to come out and pray with you. Um, you did you have to tell them essentially, no, you can't come out here and pray with me? No, the school has a very um, um, weird rule, and it's the only one that applies to uh, anything with religion as far as I could read. And it says that you cannot encourage nor discourage kids in prayer. So I couldn't say don't come out here, and I can't say please come out here, you know? I mean, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. But we worked really hard to get to the point where I thought we were on the same sheet of music, and it was, you don't pray with the kids, everything's gonna be okay. And I thought we were set. I told my team, hey, I, I, I know where you guys' heart is, I know you wanna join, but you're not going to. We don't want any more problems. And they were totally understanding. And which I think technically breaks the rule you were just talking about because you had to discourage yeah, them. Yeah, you to have not to be very there. creative with your words. And <laughs> right. You do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. I'm not telling you no. <laughs> Does the government have any role here, Jeremy, in, in determining whether a coach decides to pray after a game? <laughs> Back in the 1960s, the Supreme Court said that uh, it can hardly be argued that either students or teachers shed their constitutional rights when they walk through the schoolhouse gates. We know that in that case is talking about student speech. So we know the answer to that question. This is really the case that will determine the other side of that equation. What about teachers and coaches? Do they shed their constitutional rights when they walk through the schoolhouse gates? Uh, we believe that the free exercise clause protects private acts of worship like this silent prayer for 15 to 30 seconds after the game at the 50 yard line on a knee by himself. That shouldn't be a problem at all. Uh, the other side has uh, has gone through outlandish lengths to get to the point where they say, look, because students can see you and you're wearing Bremerton T-shirts or, or polo shirts, they see you as an authority figure. That alone is sufficient to coerce them into uh, into such a way that it violates the establishment. So it becomes an establishment of religion by the state of Washington just because they can see him engaged in 15 to 30 seconds of silent prayer. The First Amendment cannot possibly mean that. No, I, I think quite clearly it doesn't. And hopefully we find that out you know, for sure here uh, very soon. So, so you, what happens? How, how does this, how do we get from, you know, you out there praying by yourself at the 50 yard line to the Supreme Court? Boy, that's been a long road. Seven years going into our Jeez. eighth, yeah, our eighth football seasons coming up. So that's a long, that's as long as I coached. Yeah. So it, it's so bizarre. And it really, it started out just a breakdown in communication. The superintendent, a great guy, everybody, these are my friends. Mm. You know, we worked together for almost a decade. So, you know, we really wanted to work this out. It wasn't until the district's lawyers got involved that they said, stop. You can't talk to us. You got to go through the lawyers for for all of this, and that's when First Liberty got involved because I was way out of my element. And we're just simply asking for the ability to go to the 50-yard line by himself and pray. We thought this would be over in three weeks, which to him was half a football season, but it was certainly shorter than seven years of litigation on things. Yeah. They said, no, no, no. The taking me at silent prayer that's going to take him away from his job responsibilities after the game. Instead, how about you leave the field, go across the track, up the stairs, across the practice field, into the school building, down the hallway, and into the janitor's office, and you can pray there instead. 
Mm. I mean, I'm pretty sure that takes longer to get there than it does to get, just drop on a on knee in silent prayer. I'm pretty then, sure there's not a janitor's uh, closet prayer clause in the Constitution either. And I don't think. Yeah, it, I don't think. Well, <laughs> think of the message that sends as well <laughs> yeah. that uh, that religion has to be hidden from public yeah. view. That prayer has to be hidden out of sight, as if it's some sort of vir- virus to be stamped out or masked or whatever you want to call it. Uh, that, that has to be dis, you know, dis, sent away from the, uh, the, the public school campus and things just because it's a teacher or a coach in this case. And that's where we were at right now. The Ninth Circuit has held that their version of the facts are true, that this was actually coercion by the, the, the coach. And here's the danger, is that if that's allowed to stand, then every teacher and coach who bows their head over their lunch in the cafeteria could be subject to termination. If a teacher or a, is wearing a yarmulke in the classroom or a hijab or a crucifix around the neck, they could lose their job for simply having those, quote, demonstrative religious activities in full view of other students. Mm. Well, again, this cannot mean, it cannot be what the First Amendment means when it comes to the Establishment Clause. And it certainly doesn't balance the rights of their free exercise rights under the Constitution as well. No one should have to choose between their faith and their livelihood when it comes to their, their life in this country. Yeah, I've noticed this particularly recently as they talked about this Florida law and they were trying to say, okay, well, what happens if a teacher who is gay and they want to come in and talk about their partner and what they did over the weekend? Now, of course, the bill doesn't prevent them from doing that. That was just a scare tactic. But but that is what it what what the left seems to think should happen to teachers and coaches who are faithful. They can't come in and talk about what they did at church over the weekend. If they do that, they're going to have the same experience you did. That's crazy. Yeah, we're going to end up driving good people like Coach Kennedy out of the system altogether. You know, another case that, I mean, it's reminded by your mug right there, even Colin Kaepernick, (laughs) right? It was happening right around the same time as this was for Coach Kennedy. Uh, And there was actually a school down the street from Coach Kennedy's school that the coaches wanted to protest the national anthem with their players. And so they would take a knee in solidarity with their players before the game. They kept their job and ended Mm. up filing a brief in support of Coach Kennedy because they said, look, the same amendment that protects our right to protest the injustice by the first by the, the national anthem protects Coach Kennedy's right to be able to take a knee in silent prayer by himself at the 50 yard line after the game. Yeah, you know, it's amazing because the Colin Kaepernick thing, one of the pushbacks against what conservatives said, hey, we don't like that you're disrespecting the flag was they said, no, 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 we're just having a silent prayer. That was their defense when it was convenient. Uh, it's the attack in this situation. So what is the, what's the schedule like now? What, what, what comes next? Yeah, on April 25th, he'll finally have his day in court at the Supreme Court of the wow. United States. So we'll be there in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, he won't be able to even go inside to hear the argument. They've still had the, the, the courthouse closed to outsiders. Mm. But his, his case will be argued on the 25th. And by the end of January, I'm sorry, by the end of June, we'll have a decision as whether or not, uh, you know, all we asked for in this case was two things. Make him a coach again and let him go to the 50-yard line and pray by himself afterwards. That's it. We've not asked for any money, nothing else. We're just simply asking, let him be a coach, let him pray. So they did wind up firing you or they you got suspended? How did, what was the actual yeah, result? I was sus- suspended halfway through the season. And uh, every at the end of every year, we, we, we don't, you know, reapply for our jobs. We get our annual evaluations. And, you know, it, it says hire, do not rehire. Not only did they say do not rehire, they wrote it in great big letters. Do not rehire on there. And I happen to know the HR person and um, that's a death sentence. Yeah, you're not getting rehired after that. Yeah. it's fascinating to hear you talk about all these people. You're you're so nice. <laughs> like you're so. It's like you don't seem to sh- hold any any you know hate in your heart, uh, anger about this. You just want it to be corrected. Well, yeah, and you know, especially against the people in the school district. I, I mean, they're, they're, 
what are they going to do? And it happened to be where the HR lady that I know happens to be my wife. So, yeah. So <laughs> suing her and, you know, going through all this, is it's, it's been a road. Yeah, it's not about the school district. The school district yeah. are great. I mean, they work together for almost a decade, as so you th- said. Do they want to hire you back? Do they want you back, but they can't do it? What, what's their... Look, the superintendent is actually one of his better friends. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's like, it's out of my hands. It's in the hands of the lawyers right now. Yeah. And look, local attorneys very often kind of make this mistake about having to kind of censor religion everywhere it pops up on the school campus. That's fine. Those are innocent mistakes to be able to have easily rectify. But they hired new attorneys by the time they got to the appellate stage. And it seems those come with much more of an agenda right now. Uh, and, and that's who we're arguing against at the, at the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, and the facts that they tell and the facts that are reality are widely divergent. So it'll take the justices to sort this whole thing out on April 25th. Now, of course, you can't predict any results. Um, luckily, I think there's a, there's a much more uh, there's a better court there now than there was a few years ago. Um, what do you how do you feel about this? Do you feel positive? Do you feel like what I think we all understand about the Constitution and the founding of this country is going to hold up in the year 2022? Yeah, I think so. If if the version of the facts and the law as the other side presents it right now are to win the day, we will live in a very different America. But if the justices, as they did four years ago when they were considering this case or three years ago when they were considering this case the first time, Four of the justices at that time said that this could be among the most egregious facts that they've considered in this context before, if they bear out to be true. We've only brought them more evidence that, in fact, is true. So Mm. I expect the four justices that were there before will continue to be on this side. We just need to pick up one more. Uh, It's it's a fool's errand to try to handicap the Supreme Court of the United States. (laughs) But, you know, as good as we can be feeling, I think that's where we're at right now. We just want to see Coach be a coach again and go to that 50-yard line after the game and take a knee in silent prayer by himself. That does not seem like too much to ask. That's all I'm saying. Mm. Coach, Jeremy, uh, thanks so much. And we're going to be following the close, uh, case closely. Love to have you back on when we, as, it, as it progresses. Because it's an important one. I mean, you know, religious liberty, I know the work you do, Jeremy, every day is centered on this. And it's such an important thing. And I feel like, you know, with all the stuff that's going wrong in the country, we've seen a lot of progress here. We've seen some good things happen in this arena, largely because of your work. Uh, Coach, I wish you the best, and uh, we'll we'll keep up on your story. It's going to be very interesting I appreciate everything you're doing, buddy. All right, thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Joe Biden's doing a good job, huh? (laughs) Uh, According to no one. His new approval polls are as bad as you could possibly imagine. Gallup has him at a new low. He was at 56 percent when he started. Then he was down to 49 percent in the summer of 2021. Now he's right around 42 percent. The details are really rough, too. Um, at one point, 60 percent of Generation Z adults and millennials approved of the job he was doing. That has fallen then to 53 percent uh, and now keeps continuing to fall. Let me give you some of the details of these breakouts here. Twenty-one-point uh, decline among Generation Z adults. Um, a twenty-three-point decline among eighteen to twenty-nine-year-old adults. Black and Hispanic adults also show big drops. Uh, early in Biden's term, eighty-seven percent of non-Hispanic Black adults approved of the job he was doing. That fell to seventy-four percent in, in the summer of twenty twenty-one, and it's now at sixty-seven percent. That's off twenty points. Uh, among Hispanics, it's dropped from seventy-three to fifty-two, off twenty-one points. Among non-Hispanic white adults, it has gone from 55 to 45 percent. And here's the thing. The worst part of this poll is this is the good poll that came out today. That's the good news. Here's the bad news from Quinnipiac. 
Approval rating at 33%. Hard to uh, overstate how terrible that is. Let me give you some of these breakouts because it makes it much worse. Uh, Only 76% of Democrats are approving him at this point. His independent splits, 26% approval, 56% disapproval. Uh, Now, what about the passion? Where's the passion behind Joe Biden? Well, 1% of Republicans strongly uh, support his presidency right now. You would expect that number to be low. However, only 46% of Democrats strongly approve of Joe Biden right now. Less than half. Among independents, that number is 11%. That is how bad this is going. It's going as exactly how bad it feels. And uh, now, I mean, almost every single poll has him at historic lows. Well, it's Good Friday, and I want to leave you with something that highlights the importance of what this weekend really means. We'll have that for you coming up next. Today, we're going on a journey. They say that time itself does not exist as we know it, as we understand it. It only really exists as something called space-time. It's really only a point on a giant map. Something that we can use to find out where we are, where we've been, or where we're going. So let's unfold space-time and trace our way back. First, maybe just a couple of years. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the, the world. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, leader of al-Qaeda. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against al-Qaeda terrorist training camps. The people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Now back even further. Princess Diana died in I did not have this vast right-wing conspiracy. Right now, is O.J. Simpson. He is armed with a gun. Mr. Gorbachev tears down this Elvis Presley died today. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Because of what has happened in Munich during the past 48 hours, or nine terrified living human beings are being held prisoner. All steps for man. A second shot, the third total shot, hit the president's head. Gentlemen, the Beatles! Dr. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. Back farther still, even before Marconi, when the air was silent. Back past the signing of the Declaration of Independence, past the Age of Enlightenment, before Martin Luther hung his protest on the church doors, before Columbus rediscovered the fact that the world was round. We go past Newton, Galileo, the Dark Ages, the Crusades, back to a time before books, when most of the world couldn't read nor write, and history was oral. 
We leave this world now where we can hear and see a lone protester standing in front of a tank in a country on the other side of the planet and we can see it live. To a world seemingly simple, yet brutal beyond our understanding, where news was spread from mouth to mouth. We stop here at approximately 29 of the Common Era. We stop at a small walled city in the Middle East. It's around 10 o'clock at night, just a couple of days before Passover. The meals are being prepared, the night's meal had already been eaten, and most in the city are asleep. One man, however, is not. It's strange. He's younger than I am. He's about 30. He's awake and alone in a garden. His friends who have been with him for several years are just a few yards away. They slumber underneath the star-filled sky. They still don't know that even though they sleep, the world is about to wake. Eleven of twelve men sleep beside a hill. One man awake. He couldn't sleep, for he knew. He was in a garden in prayer, praying so hard about what he knew was about to come, praying so hard that blood actually dripped from his pores in the place of sweat. Back at the hill, when he returned, he begged his friends to wake and pray with him. They didn't know how serious his request really was. They had no idea what was just to come. He pleaded with his friends, Why will you not rise and pray with me? He asked this again before returning to the garden alone. He knelt there on rocky soil, his hands clasped, his head bowed. Twilight dew draped his neck, the horizon still in black. He prayed. He prayed even harder, for the sky would eventually turn purple, then light blue. And he knew what awaited him. Back to the hill once more, his friends asleep. He begged his friends, rise, rise and pray with me. I need you now more than ever. They said they would, but shortly after he left, they fell asleep again. The dawn was even closer, and he knew his time was running out. Now over the hill, they marched like flowing lava burning in the night's solace. The eleven are surely awake now. They have sworn their faith to him, but he knows, he knew this wasn't true. They'll weaken and he'll be forsaken, forsaken by the same men who just swore their undying devotion. The torchlights grow brighter, the hourglass running low. The clanging of the metal swords and spears, the sound and the vibration of the march deep down from their feet to their spine, creating a shallow vibration, leaving them quivering. The soldiers approach. The one is grabbed and kissed. Betrayed with a kiss. A kiss wearing the mask of loyalty. One of the men leap forward, draws his sword, cutting the ear off one of the soldiers. He raises his hand. No. Peace. 
Take me now in peace. For this is my purpose. This is my being. This is the reason I came. Now one of them, Peter, strays. While his friend is being persecuted for crimes he didn't commit, he stands by a fire, denying any relationship he has as he tries to blend in with the common people. A woman approaches. Didn't I see you with him? Peter says, surely I don't know him, but you're from Galilee. For the third time, Peter says, I do not know this man. Now Jesus is pulled back and forth between the two who will determine his fate. They can't see any crime, but they still question, scourge, and mock him. Aren't you the king? Silence. Then here is your crown, says one as they give him a crown of thorns and press it into his head. He stands before the judge, who could condemn him for no crime, but it is Passover. He says to the crowd, You, you can choose. One I will release. Him as the king of the Jews, or... Jesus, standing silent, his eyes to the ground, is condemned to death. Jesus now carries his cross through the stone-clad streets to the place known as the Skull, the place where he will soon die. His back torn, his head bleeding beneath his thorny crown. The women cry out loud as he passes. He pauses for a moment and comforts them. Do not weep for me. Rather, weep for yourselves. His mother looks on as huge nails are driven through his hands and his feet. They raise the cross and slam it into the ground. It is at this point that all four writers of the gospel struggled with a description of the crucifixion, as I have. They described with the only words that I could use. And they crucified him. He now hung on the cross as the soldiers bid lots on his clothing below. Next to him, two criminals hang, but they are simply tied to the cross. One of them says, You're the son of God. Save us now. Save all of us. The man in the middle does nothing, for he had a purpose. The afternoon passes. His skin stretched. He wept. He begged for water, and they gave him a sponge on a reed filled with vinegar. In a moment where he showed us that he was truly human, he cried out and said, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The sky began to grow dark. It was approaching three o'clock on a Friday afternoon when Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, spoke once more and only once. His last words, it is finished. So today, people all over the world do as I do now. 
I thank that lone carpenter for dying, dying on that Friday afternoon, so I may live.